Good morning. Hey, good to see you guys. If you're on your feet, stay on your feet. If you uh, got yourself seated and you're able to, stand back up with me. Uh, if this is your first time, we're slow in doing that. That's okay. If this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. It's a joy to have you with us. What we're going to do here in just a moment here is uh, we're going to declare our faith in the words of the ancient Nicene Creed. If this is your first time with us, you're new to faith, exploring faith is a little foreign to you, but these are words that the church labored over in the first few centuries of its existence to try to summarize who is the God that we worship in Christianity and what's the story that God's been telling in the world. And for the last 1,700 years, these words have been shared by Christians of every denominational stripe and theological affiliation. And so when we say them, we say them as a way not only of locating ourselves in the story of God and who God is in the world, but we're also locating ourselves inside the one holy church that God has spread out throughout the world and across all time. And so that's why we declare our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed, a little primer for you there. Here we go. Let's say it together this morning. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you agree with it, say it real loud. Amen. You may be seated. I'll be in the book of Exodus chapter 19 this morning. If you have Bibles, I'll invite you to turn there. We're continuing our series, Who is God, this morning. And the first eight or so weeks of our series, we've been looking at who uh, God is as Father. We know in the Christian imagination, a God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. And uh, so in this series, we're looking at each member of the Godhead and trying to discern attributes and character traits. What does it mean to be in relationship with this God, this particular God, who is known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we've been looking at the Father, and we've seen how the Father is the one who is the maker of heaven and earth, as the creed says, all things seen and unseen. And so he makes this created realm for our pleasure and our enjoyment. He makes it as a place of communion with him. And we've seen that even when we wander away from God, as we did in Genesis chapter 3, that God comes running after us, asking, where are you? And he helps us relocate ourselves inside of his grace as he draws us back to himself. We've seen who God is as the covenant maker and the covenant keeper, that he's the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We've seen that he makes promises to us and he keeps those promises. And because he makes and keeps promises, we have a good and a hopeful future. As Paul says, no matter how many promises God has made, every single one of them is 
Yes, and who? Christ Jesus. There has never been a promise that God has failed on, and there's never been a promise that he will fail on. And because of that, we can rest in God's grace and his goodness and his love. Tonight, or this morning, tonight, I preached this message at New Life Friday night, so if I'm stuck in the past, that's why. This morning, we're going to finish off uh, thinking about who God is, uh, the Father is, as the covenant maker by looking at how the covenant shapes us to be his people. And so I'm in Exodus chapter 19. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we lean into you this morning. Father Almighty, we lean into you this morning. Big brother Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our King, we lean into you this morning. We're asking for help. Our lives are not as they ought to be yet. But we trust that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can make us as we have been predestined to be sons and daughters of the living God that reflect the glory and the goodness of God in the earth. So we come and we're wanting to submit to you this morning. We're wanting to yield to you. We're wanting to give our lives to you this morning. And so we're asking that as we open the scriptures and as I share just a little bit, we ask that the living word himself, Jesus the Lord, would make himself present in all of these words, that you would gather up human words and make them the word of God, and that we'd come and fall down at your feet again and love and worship. Grant it, we pray. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. Exodus chapter 19, the scripture reads, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt. So remember, it's the covenant, the promise that God makes to Abraham that gets the people out of Egypt, and he's not done with them once he gets them out of Egypt. But the story continues, you know, he doesn't just sort of roll credits by the Red Sea, and they all lived happily ever after, but it keeps going on. And here we see what God delivered them for. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in front of the mountain. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. How I carried you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. And now with these next verses, we get a glimpse of just why God delivered them. He says, now if you obey me fully, everybody say obey me fully. And keep my covenant. Everybody say keep my covenant. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Everybody say kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. Say holy nation. Holy nation, and these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, brothers and sisters. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, thanks be to God. God, when he delivers his people up out of Egypt, does not just leave them there, but he starts forming them as something. He says, if you keep my covenant and you obey all of my precepts, everything that I teach you, you're going to be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You're going you're gonna to look like something. You're going to look like me. That's what it means to be a kingdom of priests. Priests mediate the presence of God to the world. Priests show the people what God looks like, and they bring people to God. And that's what God wants from the people of Israel. But what it hinges on is that they obey the covenant and they keep everything that God requires. And of course, what comes next in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, is the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, which really forms the backbone of Israel's entire imagination of what it means to follow God. And so we have these ten words that stipulate what it looks like to follow God, 
And then everything that comes out from that, the rest of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, is really God building this whole structure of decrees and commandments and laws and regulations that help the people of God understand what to do. Now, I think that when many of us uh, think of the decrees and the laws and the regulations of the Lord, we have some bad ideas in our minds about what that's all about. I think about uh, growing up in the Arndt uh, family. Uh, I'm a proud Arndt. I love the Arndt's. I uh, come from a long line of really excellent people, and I took great pride when I was a kid growing up in the Arndt family. I have a whole, you know, extended family, uncles and aunts and cousins, and, and the Arndt's are excellent people. I always say that. They're some of the most excellent human beings I know, and so much, if there's any excellence in my own life, I attribute a great deal of that to just being an Arndt. Now, that excellence uh, comes at a price, and the Arndt family one of the things that they are known for is they have a touch, just a touch, of OCD. They're just, they can get a little insane about things that don't really, in the grand scheme of things, matter. And you never met an aunt that ever really had anything, well, at least of the previous generation. I think that as time has gone on, like we kids, the grandkids and the great-grandkids, it's degenerated a little bit. But like in my dad's generation of aunts, you never met any one of those aunts that ever had anything in their life that was ever out of place. Like everything is in, a, in its place, everything has a place, everything goes somewhere, it's all very specific. And as a kid, living in that little universe, it can be a little bit complicated sometimes, you know, like you knew the love that these people had for you, but there were times that you just felt the intensity of the parents around things that just didn't seem to matter, you know. And so I remember being at my grandparents' house sometimes, you know, and you'd get out the peanut butter to make a peanut butter sandwich and you put it back in the cupboard and the voice of, of God would come over your head, not there, you know. The peanut butter doesn't go there. Do you know where it goes? It goes right here. <laughs> and as a kid, for a while, you do think that there must be some really good reason why the peanut butter goes there. There must be some immutable law of peanut butter that's written in the heavens, and this is why we do things this way. And then, of course, as time goes on, then you suffer the many deconstructions in your confidence in your family, you start realizing, this is part of the process of maturity, by the way, but you start realizing that it was just personal preference married to unchallengeable power. <laughs> and that, that it doesn't actually matter. And, you know, if you put the peanut butter over here, the world's going to keep spinning. And the sun's going to keep coming up in the morning and everything's going to be fine, you know. And so I do think that sometimes that's the way that we think about God. That God has a lot of very specific personal preferences married to unchallengeable authority. And so when he lays out the laws and the stipulations, the commands and the decrees and all that, he's doing it just because there are certain things that just really bug him. I'm just really bugged by certain things that people eat. Ugh, why would you eat that thing? You know, I'm really bugged by certain kinds of behavior people treat. Ah, just that just via offends me in some way. And I'm just really offended by the way that some people manage their sexuality. I just don't like any of that stuff. And God is just personal preference married to unchallengeable power. But that's not the way that the commandments work in the biblical imagination. We come to this moment in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Forty years later, after the Israelites had left Sinai and Moses has journeyed with them for 40 years, he's about to die and he's passing on the law one more time to them and getting ready to turn Israel over to new leadership. And the scripture says this in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 45, that when Moses had finished reciting... So he retells all the commandments, all the words to Israel. He said to them, take to heart all the words that I've solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command them to your children and obey carefully all the words of this law. 
These are not just idle words for you. They are your, they're your life. And by them you'll live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So in Moses' mind, these commandments, stipulations, laws, and decrees are not just personal preference married to unchallengeable power, but what these are is they're a sort of disclosure of the way that life actually works. And that when you pay attention to them, it leads to your flourishing. So one of the central ways, I want to say this to you this morning, that one of the central ways that God expresses his fatherhood to us is by his ongoing instruction to us in the right way to live. This, I think, just goes with the territory of being a parent. You all know we got four kids, Ethan, Gay, Bella, and Liam. And I remember when Ethan, our oldest, was just a little guy. He was 11 months or so, 12 months or so maybe, and he was crawling around a lot and just kind of getting into everything. And uh, we thought that we had done a good job with Ethan of like providing him with everything that he would need to keep himself amused during his waking hours. And so we had these huge bins of trucks and the Duplo Lego blocks or whatever and all kinds of other like fun, colorful things that have batteries in them even. They make sounds and noises and they do things. They go places. They're like amazing toys. Like we spent a lot of money on this. And instead, you know what Ethan was interested in? Electrical outlets. Why? You know, and we did what we were supposed to do. We got all those weird little plugs, you know, that you put in them, the caps and all the electric. And I, that, I, God is my witness, that boy. And crawl over there and he'd start like picking at the electrical allergy, trying to get it out, you know. Or we had our little entertainment center, you know, I had the TV and the VCR and all back in the day. And uh, the cords that went, and we did a nice job, I thought, tucking those cords back there and keeping them out of sight. But even like a heat-seeking missile, you know, just go for the cords. And so, of course, you know, being an idealistic young parent, I would like to try to reason with Ethan. Dear Ethan, see, I have said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing, you know. You don't want to do that, right? It just keeps grabbing at that. So what do you got to do as a parent? I grabbed his little hand. Wham! And I'll never forget the look on Ethan's face. He was like, I'd broken his universe in half. How could you treat me like that? My dad was like, was indignant almost about it. But why am I smacking little Ethan's hand? Is it because I just, it really offends me? when people are monkeying with my electrical outlets? Is that why it is? is that because I'm, you know, I am. I'm some arbitrary, all-powerful, malevolent, wrathful father. That's what it is. And I just, I just don't like it when people do stuff like that in my house. And so, why am I why I'm trying to save Ethan's life is what I'm doing there. So, Ethan, bow, no. And whatever it takes, I'm going to make sure that he doesn't stick his finger in the electrical socket. I remember a couple years after that, uh, Ethan, uh, three years after, two years after that, Ethan was about three, Gabe was two, we were living in Denver, and uh, I called the boys up for dinner one night, and Mandy goes, hey, before they come up for dinner, they need to clean the basement. They had this little basement area that was all theirs, all their toys were down there. And so I said to the boys, I go, boys, before you come up for dinner, I need you to clean the basement, okay? They go, okay. And so they get to work, and three minutes later, I see little Gabe at the top of the stairs. And uh, Gabe was like the cutest little kid, just so cute, so sweet. And he's standing up there like he owns the joint, you know. And I remember getting down real low. I called him Gaby at the time. I said, Gaby, did you clean up the basement? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> and his righteous older brother, Ethan, 
this is a birth order thing in the family, I do think, you know, like the oldest one wears like the family crest and is the guardian of the family's honor and everything that's right and good and true in the world. And Ethan, like instantaneously, I hear Ethan go, no, he didn't. He's lying. So I say to little Gabe, I go, Gabe, are you lying? And you know what he says? God and Mandy is my witness. She was there. Gabe goes, I like lying. <laughs> oh, no. So what do you know? Now, here is a real philosophical dilemma, actually. How do I explain to a two-year-old the moral value of lying? Dear Gabe, don't you understand that your words need to have correspondence to reality or it will ruin everything that you hold dear in your life? You know, there's a real parenting dilemma there. But so there was a discipline moment for Gabe. You, don't, you can't lie to me. Get your little butt back downstairs and you finish the job. Why? Why am I saying all of that to Gabe? Is it because I'm just really offended that a two-year-old has lied to me? Is that why it is? No. It's because I love Gabe. And I'm trying to instruct Gabe in the right way. And I want him to grow up into all the good things that God has for him. And now our kids are, three out of the four of them are teenagers. And now, you know, the mode, has, the mode of parenting has changed. And the issues of parenting have changed. But the reality of parenting has not changed. That we're doing everything that we can do with our kids to keep them from sticking their finger in the electrical socket of life and killing themselves. Guys, this is what it looks like for God to be our parents, our father. That what he's doing is he's trying to lead us into the right way to live. He's trying to give us the gift of unending existence in his good world. And unfortunately... We're too stubborn sometimes to realize it. But this is what's at stake in the commandments, the laws, and the regulations. I want to turn your attention this morning to Psalm chapter 19, the 19th Psalm. One of the places in the text of Scripture that I think gets this so beautifully right. This is what the psalmist says. Watch this. psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. Talking about the created order here and how it speaks of the glory of God. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And in the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming forth from his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one of the heavens, makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of it. So it's this beautiful ode to God, the creator, for all the things that he's made and how the created existence speaks of the glory of God. But then watch what happens here. There's this pivot in Psalm 19. That's critical to pay attention to. The psalmist says in verse 7 that the law of the Lord is perfect. Wait, I thought we were talking about creation. But now all of a sudden we've shifted gears. The law of the Lord, he says, is perfect. Refreshing the soul and the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm. All of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned, and keeping them there's great reward. Who can discern their errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And may these words in my heart and this mouth and this meditation in my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How fascinating is that? That he starts with this beautiful sort of ode 
to the maker for all the things that he's made and how they speak his name. And then all of a sudden he pivots to talking about the law of the Lord. It's perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise is simple. The commands of the Lord are pure, giving light to the eyes, and so on and so forth, talking about the commandments. Why does he do that? Is he all of a sudden switched to a, set, a separate subject? No. What he's done is he's actually given praise to the same maker for giving us some clue to our existence in this created world. That's what the Torah was for the Old Testament people of God. Do you know what the Hebrew word we use, the Torah, do you know what that means? It's instruction. It's like God's key to unlocking the meaning of existence. It's a blueprint for making sense of what it means to be human in God's world. So fundamental is it that in the Hebrew imagination, one of the 13th century Jewish rabbis, a man by the name of Zohar, put it like this. He said that God gazed upon the Torah and then created the universe. (laughs) That it was like, this is like the map. This is like the blueprint for how everything is supposed to work. And when God creates, he creates out of that blueprint. And then when we understand the blueprint, we can make sense of what it means to live righteously and humanly in God's world. We can make sense of what it means to be the children of God. And when we live in the way that God requires, when we yield our lives in submission to God, it leads to life. But the correlate is also true. You can put the next slide up on the screen. That if submission to the Father's ways leads to life, then the opposite is also true. A failure to submit to the ways that God lays out for us leads to death. As the great C.S. Lewis said, to walk out of his will is to walk into nowhere. There's nothing for us but pain and misery and death outside of the commands of God. So, so much then, friends, of the effort of faith is learning to submit ourselves to the ways of God. And one of the things that I think about often is I think about all of the people that I have talked to over the years. I've been a pastor for 15 years, and I think about all of the people that I've talked to over the years that have come into my office or have wanted to sit down over coffee, and they've got some issue going on in their lives that's causing them a great deal of pain. Maybe their marriage is conflicted in some way, or they've got something going on with their kids that's very difficult and very complicated, or they're in a relationship situation that's no good, or their finances are all just kind of in a mess, or something is just goofed up in their lives, and it's causing them a great deal of pain. And I think about all of the conversations I've had with those people, and it's not everybody, but it's a great number of people that it seems to me that what they want is they want to tell you about their pain, and then they expect that, like, as a pastor... What you're going to do is you're going to wave your little wands, your magical pastor wand over that area of pain, and all of a sudden everything's just going to be magically better again. But that's the kind of society that we're living in, isn't it? The silver bullet society. We want to microwave solutions for things, or we want to take a pill and everything is better. You know, like that's what, that's what we want. We want somebody to sprinkle some magical dust on our thing, and all of a sudden it, it, it works. And then I'll, some of these people, I've just seen them month after month after month, year after year after year, and they're still stuck in the thing because they've never actually submitted themselves to God's ways. And if you're not willing to submit yourself to God's ways, it doesn't matter how many times God gives you the gooey feelings or all of a sudden, even if, even if I could wave my magical pastoral wand over that place of pain and make it go away for a day, do you know what I can guarantee will happen? You're going to create the situation again. 
We had this, I was a business student when I went uh, for my undergraduate, and we had this saying in business school that your system is perfectly designed to produce the results that it's currently getting. Oh, no! <laughs> if you don't fix the system, then you're going to wind up in the same spot over and over again. And I've watched this. I've been in the church my entire life, and I've watched this with people over the years. I've watched how people will come into the presence of God Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, or they'll seek after revival services and prayer meetings and all of that. And what they want is they want some moment where God just kind of descends upon them and makes them feel really good. And then everything in their life is fixed and they all live happily ever after again. And so they do. A lot of times they come into worship and you feel the presence of God wash over you. And, but then you go back and you haven't fixed the system. And God loves you. He loves you desperately. So it's not, a, it's not an issue of the love of God. It's not a question of the love of God over your life. But you're not submitting to the Father, so you keep going back out and the thing just repeats itself over and over and over again. And one of the things that I've learned is I've read the scriptures. I, part of my daily devotional practice is I read the Psalms, at least one Psalm, usually several. And I just meditate on those Psalms and think about those Psalms. And I think about all of the moments in the Psalms, and there are so many, where the cry of the psalmist is, Lord, save me. And I love that, and I think that we should pray that. When we're in trouble, it's the songs that we sang before. You know, our God is over all. When darkest nights begin, we don't know what to do. We lift up our voice to God for help. God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. God, oh, I need you. And the psalmist teach us that. They teach us to cry out, Lord, save us. That's a perfectly valid cry of faith. And we need to cry it often. But do you know what else the psalmist also cry? Lord, show me your paths. Teach me your ways. Guide me in your truth and lead me. For you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Free me from the trap that is set before me. For you are my strength. As often as the psalmists cry out, Lord, save, they also cry out, Show me how to live. Teach me your ways. This is the stuff of life, guys. Show me how marriage is supposed to work. And I'm so committed to having a good marriage that I'll do anything. Oh, God, show me how my life and family is supposed to work and how I'm supposed to parent my kids and I'm so desperate to see them grow up to taste and see the Lord is good that I'll submit to what you say. Show me how my finances are supposed to work. Show me how I'm supposed to steward power. Show me how my sexuality is supposed to work and I'll follow you all the days of my life but just open it up to me and help me, God help me see it. The moment that that prayer starts dawning in us, guys, that's the moment that we're on the threshold of real transformation where it's not just save me but it's teach me, teach me your ways. I want to ask you this question as we begin to prepare our hearts for communion this morning. And I want you just to think about this. How much of your current misery is a result of a refusal to submit to the Father's good design for your life? How much? Now, I'm not talking about trauma, okay? I'm not talking about the places of pain that you have in your life because of things that people did to you. I'm not talking about that. And I'm not talking about bad circumstances that just happened to fall upon you. Misfortune that came to you that you weren't looking for and you had nothing to do with, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But you know what I am talking about this morning? I'm talking about the places in your life where you know that you have a role to play 
in whatever is going on that's causing you a great deal of pain. There's a great deal of agency that you still have. There are choices that you can still make in it. But instead of taking responsibility for your part in it, do you know what you have done? You have pointed the finger at everybody else and everything else. If only my wife would change, then everything would be great. If only my husband would change, then everything would be amazing. If only my kids would, then everything would be amazing. If only my boss would, if only my coworkers would, if only my small group would, if only my church would, if only my pastor would, then everything would be amazing. If only the Democrats would, if only the Republicans would, if only those black people would, if only those white people would, and we are pointing the finger and we are not taking responsibility. And I'm telling you, every place in which we are pointing the finger at somebody else, we are closing the door. We are locking the door to transformation in our lives. Do you know that God wants more from you and for you than just you going, save me from pain and take your wrath out on all those other people. What God wants is for you to fall down at his feet. He wants you to fall down at his feet. Now as we prepare our hearts for communion, I got one final thing that I want to say to you, and it's this, and you can stand this morning. The thing that distinguishes the gospel of Jesus Christ from mere self-help is that we don't go, oh, okay, the standard is up here. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to behave. This is how I'm supposed to be. So therefore, I pull myself up by my bootstraps and I just get the job done. Do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is about the way in which the spirit of the one who requires these things of us comes and invades the innermost of our lives so that we do the will of God from the heart. Listen to the word of the Lord on the lips of the prophet Jeremiah. They will be my people, the Lord says, and I will be their God. And I will give them. Who, who will give? God will give what? Singleness of heart and action. Singleness of heart and action. So that what's happening here and what comes out here are the same thing. So that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. Friends, can we turn our hands to heaven like this this morning? And as we draw near the heat of God, as we draw near to the all-consuming fire of our God, we're saying, Lord, melt us, mold us, make us. We're saying, Spirit of the living God, come in us. Work in us the character of Christ Jesus, the impress of the true Son of God, Jesus the Lord, who always did the will of God from the heart and now by his spirit is teaching us his ways so that we may walk in his path. Our big brother, Jesus, who shows us how to live in the Father's house. So we're saying, come. And friends, as you're holding that area, that place of misery where you know that there's an obedience that you need to give, I want you to invite the spirit to begin to work in you over that place. Spirit, I'm asking you to invade marriages this morning. Spirit, I'm asking you to invade homes this morning. Spirit, I'm asking you to invade relationships this morning. Spirit, I'm asking you to invade the heart of the addict this morning. Spirit, I'm asking you to come into the heart of those who have been made hard by offense and unforgiveness. Come. I'm asking you to come there. 
Spirit, I'm asking you to come and soften us with respect to our finances and our power, the things that we steward. We're saying, come. And we're laying down our rebellion and we're laying down our, our own will in this and we want the will and the ways of God. So we say, Spirit of the Lord, come. And now, friends, let's make this our prayer of repentance together as we prepare our hearts for communion. Can you say it with me? We say, most merciful God, that we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. And for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will, there it is, and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And now, my brothers and sisters, I say to you this morning that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I say to you also that if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. You're new creations in Christ Jesus. If you can receive that this morning, would you give God praise? Let's respond to this song of worship and then Pastor Rory is going to lead us to the table or Colin or one of them. They'll arm wrestle over it. Got a testimony and I'm going to tell it. Not ashamed of where I've come from. There is power in the gospel and I felt it. I heard that good news Oh, it was good news I've been set free And I know the truth I've got a testimony And I'm gonna tell it Sing this He found me He held me He loved me He picked me up He healed me He restored me He changed me He gave me his spirit and his name when he saved me. That's what Jesus did. Yeah, that's what my Jesus did. Something happened and I'll never be the same. I saw a light in the darkness. I wasn't sure, but I followed in.
praise in your heart this morning. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Do that now. Stir up a spirit of thankfulness in your heart for what he has accomplished on the cross for you. This meal is for those who've received the gift, the eternal gift of Jesus and his death on the cross for your sins. And we come to the table forgiven. There's elements by the door. You can grab them if you don't have them in your hand. But we remember, that's what we do. We remember when we come to the table that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, just like we have done today, he took the bread and he broke it. Would you break the bread in your hands? He said to the disciples, this is my body, which is for you. This is a generous gift of Jesus, our Savior. When you gather together, would you do this in remembrance of me? Would you receive the bread? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you, whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so when we drink, we remember. Before we do, let's proclaim the mystery of our faith together. That Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. And so what we're remembering is that this isn't the end. Jesus has a plan. And that new covenant is that he has a new relationship with each of us. Would you drink with thankfulness? And the only way we can respond is worship. Would you proclaim the doxology together? Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. Would you lift your hands like this? Receive this benediction as you go. We're God's kids. And so as you go from this place, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Grace, mercy, and peace be with you.
I'll invite our altar ministry team to come forward if you need prayer for anything this morning. We would love to pray for you. Remember to meet our marriage mentors in the lobby. Uh, Connect Central, fellowship hours happening, coffee and donuts, hanging out. Second service people are going to pile in soon. And we're going to enjoy fellowship. It's going to be amazing. Friends, you are loved. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We will see you next Sunday.